They're important, and dads have their day, but moms have a unique role in shaping the very core of who we are. Um, it's very clear in Scripture that the role of a mom is very important and treasured by God, instituted by God and treasured by God. And so it's worthy. Uh, it's a worthy topic on Mother's Day, of course. So we're going to dig in. There's lots of places we could go in Scripture. Um, and as we look at Scripture, there are two ways we discern what God teaches us in Scripture. One is we follow the storyline of the Bible, and we follow through books and follow the whole story, and we learn from those stories as we go. The other way is we look at what uh, the, the whole Bible says about a particular topic. So you could spend time going throughout the whole Bible and look uh, what it says about moms and motherhood, and you'd probably have a little bit of a verse here, a little bit of a verse there. Uh, and there'd be truth in all that, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to jump into one small passage that, that really says a lot about motherhood uh, as a secondary aspect of the passage. So there's a place where this passage is going, but as the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy in this letter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, he's going to talk about motherhood, and we're going to learn some things. And so uh, let's pray, and then we'll dig in. We trust God to speak to us through His Word. Lord, we thank You. We thank you for our moms. We thank you, Lord, for this design that you have in creating mankind, that you would create marriages, you would create um, moms to nurture children, to teach them and to influence them. And we thank you for all the good, Lord. Even, even though it's been imperfect for some of us, perhaps uh, it's been difficult, but yet there has been good through moms, and Lord, by and large, uh, we're very blessed, very, very blessed, I know for myself. I'm so grateful for my mom and, and my wife who's the mom of our children. So thank you, Lord, that this is something that you value and you want to help us with. And I pray, Lord God, as we dig into your word, I pray you'd inspire the moms and really everybody listening. We would be changed by your word. We would hear from you. Help me to serve you well, Lord, and serve all that are listening as well, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just going to jump into just a few verses here in this letter as Paul uh, talks to his dear friend Timothy. He says in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. That's God's Word from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And what I want to talk about is the faith of a mom, and I want to talk about three aspects, a mom's legacy of faith, a mom's challenges to faith, and a mom's nurturing of faith. So we're going to Look at those three aspects of faith. And uh, so first, the mom's legacy of faith. As we jump into this letter, this is a, uh, a wonderful letter, actually. Tim, uh, Paul writes to Timothy. It's near the end of Paul's life. Uh, he is awaiting execution by Nero. Um, and he's soon going to be with the Lord. And he's there in prison. And, and I can picture him there in this prison which was, from what we know, a, a hole in the ground, a damp hole in the ground where he was chained, sitting in that prison, thinking of his faithful friend, Timothy, 
remembering his tears, his tears of affection probably from their last time together, and be reminded of Timothy. And as he thinks about Timothy, he, he thinks of his sincere faith. And it's interesting to see where Paul goes with that. He's reminded of this precious friend and his sincere faith. And where does he go? He goes to, to the way that that sincere faith was shaped in Timothy's life. He goes to Timothy's mom, his grandmother and his mom. So as he remembers his friend and thinks of what of the qualities of this dear friend that, that he longs to be with, he thinks of his faith and he thinks of where that faith came from. Ultimately from God, but through the means of his grandmother Lois and his mom, Eunice. There's a lot to learn just in that short verse here about the influence of a mom. Um, And just to see that moms are used by God to pass on one of the most precious things any mom could pass on. There's lots of things that a mom does for uh, her child. Lots of ways that a mom serves her children, but probably the most significant way is for that mom to pass on her faith to her child. And this is how God often works. And so, for Timothy, certainly, this was his experience. This is part of God's design that He would use moms to pass on their faith, their legacy of faith. Now, first we probably need to talk about what is faith. Um, And faith certainly is the body of truth that we believe in, but there's an aspect within that, of course, of faith itself. And Hebrews chapter 11 does a great job of defining faith for us. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we could insert not yet seen. And, and so, faith is the assurance of things. It's, it's knowing something is true. It's believing something to be true. And by the way, all people have faith. All people are, are um, exercise belief in things that they don't necessarily know all the facts about. Uh, so those who say, like, there's those who have faith and those who have fact, well, that's just not true. We all have faith. We all have to exercise belief in things that we don't quite know everything about. But faith in Scripture is exercising this in terms of the things of God. It's assurance of things hoped for. So it's a belief in things that you, that you don't necessarily know everything about. But it's interesting to note that it's not just the assurance of things that just happen to be scientific facts or math facts or whatever it might be. Um, it's the assurance of things that are hoped for. It's the assurance of things that you anticipate. The conviction of things not seen, not yet seen. It's knowing, yes, this is going to happen. And, and I'm setting my heart on it as well. It's interesting to note, uh, it, uh, James talks about this. Um, the demons have uh, an aspect of faith. They have a, an assurance of things. They believe things to be true, but they don't have the hope. There's not the anticipation. They're not looking forward to those things, and so it's not the the full definition of biblical faith. Biblical faith is you both believe it to be true and you want it to be true. You anticipate it. You're looking forward to it. You're geared towards that. It says in chapter 11, verse 6 of Hebrews, and without faith it is impossible to please Him. Speaking of God. Without faith it is impossible to please Him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. So there's that assurance of things. Believe that He exists. 
and that He rewards those who seek Him. So faith has this aspect of not only believing something to be true, but anticipating the benefit, the goodness of that thing that you believe to be true. So in the case with God, we believe that He exists. And we believe that He's good and He rewards those who seek Him. That there's a blessing we desire. We want to be with Him and live under Him. And this reward of knowing Him as our God. That's what faith is. And faith is the very foundation of our experience of the Christian life. It's what we can call the subjective foundation. And I use that word because I want to differentiate it with from the objective foundation of our faith. Jesus is the objective foundation of our faith. And whether our faith is strong or not, He still is who He is. He still came in the flesh. God came in the flesh, became a man, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a full life, was crucified, suffered and crucified under Pontius Pilate. He died on the cross. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to heaven. He reigns now with the Father. He will return. Those things are true about Jesus, regardless of what we or anybody else might think about them. They are the objective foundation of faith. So our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is not in our ability to just feel like it's true. Our faith is in the objective ground of our faith. Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, dying for our sins personally, paying the penalty fully for our sins, being raised from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And now He lives and reigns with the Father over the world, working out His will, and He will return when the work is done. That's the objective faith. But the, the, the objective foundation. But the subjective foundation is your faith. So subject means you. Objective is, is outside of you. Thank God. That's, that's the ultimate ground. But your own faith is a grounds for your life. And faith is necessary to live the Christian life. Without faith, there is no Christian life. Faith is so important. Faith is a, a, an aspect that influences so much about the Christian life. So the Apostle Paul uh, at numerous times talks about faith, hope, and love. And if you study that triad, faith, hope, and love, you see their interconnection. Faith is what we're talking about. Belief and anticipation of truth. Hope is the faith looking to the future. And love is the fruit of faith. And these are three key experiences of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. They go together. It's what God builds in us and grows in us. And faith is an important and essential, necessary aspect of the Christian life. They go, it produces hope. And love. You have to have faith. It's essential. Now, you're probably listening and feeling a little bit nervous right now because you're thinking, I don't know how much faith I have. This is making me feel bad. If you have to have faith, there's times I don't even know if I have faith. Well, there's some important things that we learn from God's Word. First, Jesus said, you only need a microscopic amount of faith to move mountains. Now, he didn't say microscopic, actually, because he didn't have microscopes yet, and if he had said that, it would have made sense to the people he was talking to. So he used something that made sense to them. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Mustard seed was the smallest uh, agrarian element they had. It's a little tiny thing, like, like 
barely visible, two millimeters maybe across. And he said, if you have faith as that small, as, as conceivably small as you can think, you'll have enough faith to move mountains. So, the point is, you just need a little trace of faith for it to be effective. You don't need to have giant faith. And certainly we want to nurture our faith. We want to have lots of faith. But, but Jesus is making it clear, it takes very little faith to allow us, it only takes a, a, the smallest measurable drop of faith to allow us to put our faith in Jesus. That's all it takes. And once that is done, you are connected to Jesus forever. You are in His hand. No one can snatch you out of His hand. So that's all the faith you need. And the second part, probably more important, is to recognize that even that trace of faith itself is a gift from God. It's a gift coming from His grace and mercy. Toby read earlier from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Um, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It is the work of God. It's a gift so that no one may boast. So this grace and this faith and the salvation we have is a gift. It's not your own doing. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one may boast. Your faith is not the result of your superior brain or your superior heart or your innate deeper spirituality. It is pure mercy and grace from a loving Heavenly Father who in His eternal love for you in time by the power of the Holy Spirit breathed on you and created faith in you to receive Him. So recognize that as we talk about faith. You've got to have faith, but it's a gift and it only takes a trace to move mountains. And Timothy had this. He had a what Paul calls a sincere faith and he got his sincere faith through the example of his mom and grandma. They believed God existed and rewarded those who seek Him. They put their hope in the God of Israel along with all the other examples in Hebrews 11 we can read about. They put their hope in the God of Israel, the true God, anticipating His salvation and rescue from sin and His eternal kingdom. And they put their hope in God amidst the challenges of life that you and I all face. Perhaps even greater challenges back in the ancient world. They put their faith in Him and anticipated His reward. And just so you know, Timothy's family was not a perfect family. You might think, well, you know, they, they probably were just so godly and amazing that they, you know, of course had this infirmity, but if you read a little more deeply into Scripture, you find out they weren't a perfect family. If you look at Acts 16, Verse 1, this is where it talks, first introduces us to Timothy. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy, by the way, means God-fearer, the one who honors God. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, Eunice. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, speaking of Timothy. So Timothy's mother was Jewish and a believer. His father was Greek, and the implication is not a believer. Nothing against Greeks. This is not the point here. It's saying basically that the, the dad here is not a believer. He is part of the Greek culture. The mom is a Jewish woman and a believer. 
and most likely his father was part of the Greek culture of that day where they believed they worshipped the pantheon of gods and goddesses. And if you study Greek mythology, I, I did that a lot as a kid, I was fascinated by it, you, you will discover that those gods and goddesses are capricious and, and passionate and selfish and sensual and spiteful. And it was very common in that culture for those who worshipped those gods to act like them. It, it's always that way. What you worship, you will act like. It will influence you that way. And so it's likely that Timothy's dad was not an easy guy for a believing Jewish woman to be married to. And you have to ask yourself the question if you know what Scripture teaches, how did Eunice end up with this guy? Because Jewish people are strictly forbidden to marry non-Jews that don't follow God, that have not come under the covenant. They are strictly forbidden. And so something happened in Eunice's life somewhere where she married Timothy's dad. We don't know. We don't know the story. But maybe there was a time, a season of her life where she didn't really care about what God said and what her mom said and decided to go do it her way. She met maybe a charming young man and, and kind of forgot God's good law and ways and got involved with this man. Maybe that's even how Timothy was conceived. And then they got married. And so that's the household that Timothy grows up in. Um, it's interesting to even notice that Eunice's name, she's a Jewish woman, but that's not a Jewish name. Eunice is a Greek name. And so maybe Lois also married a Greek man. And Eunice got her name from that Greek father. We don't know. The, the point being that we, there's enough in Scripture to recognize that, that it was not a perfect home where faith resided. There was some aspect of it that was not quite up to the standards, that, the, the good standards that God has for us. And I hope that encourages you to recognize that faith does not need an environment of perfection to have an influence on those around us. It doesn't need perfect people. Despite failures, despite past failures, despite life-defining indiscretions and sin, despite weaknesses and hard circumstances, the life of genuine faith shines through and captures the attention of others. Be encouraged by this, moms. You may struggle. You may be dealing with consequences of poor choices. You might be in a marriage that's unequal. One you being a believer, and your husband not believing in Jesus. Even so, genuine faith still shines through. Have you ever heard of Augustine? Sometimes called Saint Augustine. Certainly is a saint along with all believers. After Paul and the apostles, probably the greatest mind and theologian the church has ever known. Pretty much... Uh, the entirety, and certainly the entirety of Western Christianity, looks to him as a chief theologian, both Protestant and Roman Catholic alike. Calvin said of Augustine, Augustine is so holy with me that if I wish to write a confession of my faith, I could do so with all fullness and satisfaction to myself out of his writings. And Pope John Paul II said, I express once again my fervent desire that the authoritative teaching of such a great doctor and pastor may flourish ever more happily in the church. That's Augustine. Do you know about his mom? 
Her name was Monica. She too was married to a non-believing man, a Roman by the name of uh, Patricus, who lived like the Roman gods he worshipped. He was violent and unfaithful. Serial infidelities. And Monica endured this terrible marriage, prayed tearfully and diligently for her son, Augustine, who was living like his father. The famous church leader Ambrose of Milan said to Monica, it's impossible that the son of so... so many tears should perish. And eventually at the age of 28, after many messes and mistakes on Augustine's part, he came to believe and follow Christ. He went on to serve the church so effectively and I'd recommend reading his biography. The point is that you don't need a perfect home to pass on a genuine faith. It only takes a mustard seed of genuine faith lived out before your kids, even in weakness. I, I remember um, raising teens not that long ago. They were all in their 20s and 30s now. And how inadequate we often felt. And I remember my wife Peg sharing with me how inadequate she felt at times. And I would remind her, as I would say to her today, that she was modeling, in, even in her weaknesses, her genuine faith. And I'm so grateful for my wife's real and genuine faith that informs every aspect of her life. She may feel weak at times and imperfect, but she is leaving a legacy that I believe my, our children and I believe our grandchildren will remember. I think what they'll remember most about my wife, among many precious qualities, is her genuine, humble faith. Her life lived out, oriented to God, dependent on His grace. Not lived perfectly, but lived in faith through all the ups and downs. That's how God works through moms. And moms do this. They practice this level of faith amidst many challenges. And, and, and in some ways, a, a mom's life is, is, is unique in challenges compared to a dad or, or a child or others' lives. Moms are called to exercise and live this sort of dependency on the Lord amidst many challenges. There's all sorts. For some moms, many moms, uh, they are able to choose to serve full-time to stay at home and, and maybe homeschool their kids. And, I, and nowadays, our respect for homeschooling moms is growing and growing. Um, there are moms who choose and are able to stay and, and be what we would call a full-time stay-at-home mom. And yet, when you do that, it can be really difficult. Um, the following letter was sent to Ann Landers years ago. It's still applicable today. And it says, I'm so tired of all those ignorant people who come up to my husband and ask him if his wife has a full-time job or if she's just a housewife. Here is my job description, the writer says. I am a wife, mother, friend, confidant, personal advisor, lover, referee, peacemaker, housekeeper, laundress, chauffeur, interior decorator, gardener, painter, wallpaper, dog groomer, veterinarian, manicurist, barber, seamstress, appointment manager, financial planner, bookkeeper, money manager, personal secretary, teacher, disciplinarian, entertainer, psychoanalyst, nurse, di diagnostician, public relations expert, dietitian, nutritionist, baker, chef, fashion coordinator, letter writer. I'm also a travel agent, speech therapist, plumber, automobile maintenance and repair expert. From the, study, from the studies done, it would cost more than $75,000 a year, and that number is probably more like 100 something thousand a year, 
to replace me. I took time out of my busy day to write this letter, and because there are still ignorant people who believe a housewife is nothing more than a babysitter who sits on her behind all day and looks at soap operas. And if you're a mom who's a stay-at-home mom, you know that challenge. And it can feel at times like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this worth it? And God would say, yes, if you're able to do this. Another challenge that moms live under is what's called in the Bible submission. It's a challenge for moms. The, the biblical model for marriage, within marriage, is, is for the husband to, uh, to be a sacrificial servant leader and the wife to be a cooperative, complementary of supporter, submitting to her husband, helping her husband, using her gifts to help her husband be successful. Not very popular nowadays, but very clear in Scripture and a beautiful and good thing. But it is often so challenging. I don't want to speak for the other husbands out there, but let me just say for myself, often I lean more towards being an impatient, lazy tyrant than a sacrificial servant leader. Add to that my tendency to become confused and irritated when asked to think about more than one thing at a time, my innate inability to ask for help when lost and doing about anything else, and you can immediately see the challenge that my wife has in submitting to my leadership. And you can understand if, if men tend these ways, how difficult it can be to submit, truly submit, heartfelt submission. And I just want to say, by the way, guys, if your wife submits to you, I hope you don't think it's because you're great. I hope you recognize that she knows her God is great. And that makes her great. It's a, an amazing thing to submit to someone else who's imperfect. And so moms are, uh, those who, of course, are married, and, um, are living with husbands they're called to submit to, and this is a challenge. Then you add to that, uh, uh, for moms, anywhere between one and seven or more gremlins running around um, in need of food, clothing, counsel, nose wiping, hand washing, clothes matching, counseling, patient listening, driving all over the country for sporting events and music lessons, lots of forgiveness, encouragement, protection, discipline, and occasional trips to the emergency room. We've done some of those. Um, you have the challenge of... of nurturing and caring for your children. Um, and I've only tasted the level that my wife put in with our kids. I used to help. Uh, we homeschooled our kids, um, two of them all the way through, two up to high school. And it was my job on our, my day off to take half the day. It was my pleasure to do that, to give my wife a, a half day off. That's all she got, really, in her 156-hour work week. Um, and so on Mondays, I would be in the living room, and I would uh, usually have something I would hope to do, a book to read or something like that, and most of the time didn't even get to crack my book open because I was busy correcting tests, doing algebra, reading papers, refereeing disputes, and the morning would just go by like that. And Peg did that days on end for years, and at, at the same time managed to run the house, find time to walk with me, find time for her friends. Mom's who take care of children, are amazing. And they do this also in weakness. Their own weakness as humans and their weakness as, as, as women made by God and their weakness in culture. They are, are often operating not in a place of power and strength in their roles to do all these things. 
And yet they serve and they love and they support. I just want to say thank you, moms, for how you believe God and serve others. There are challenges to a mom's faith. These are some of them. And so it's fitting for me, final point, to talk about how to strengthen, how to nurture a mom's faith. It's interesting, later on in 2 Timothy, uh, there's one thing that Paul points to as, as a source of strength for Timothy, uh, of course, but also a, a source of strength for Eunice and Lois as moms, a source of strength for them, and that is the Word of God. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says, But as for you, speaking of Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, with the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's pointing to the, the fact that from childhood, Timothy has had a diet of God's Word. And so we can learn from this, of course, that this was something that went on in his household. And of course, it was under the leadership of his mom because his dad was not a follower of Christ, not a follower of God. And so the Word of God had an impact on Timothy's life, and, and certainly we can, we can see that it had an impact on Eunice and Lois. They went to the Word, and the Word is, is how God strengthens our faith. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Faith gets strengthened as we hear the Word, as the Word ministers to us. It grows our faith. That's where faith originates as we hear the Gospel. God breathes life. And as we continue in the Word, the Spirit of God sustains us and supports and grows our faith. And so, moms, get time in God's Word. Read it. Pray it. Memorize it. Share it with your kids. It'll sustain you. Get in a ladies' Bible study. We have a, a couple of Bible studies here as a church. Ladies' Bible studies. Get in a Bible study and get into the Word and let the Word fill you and strengthen you. You can't do it without a steady diet of the Word. And, and husbands, make sure your wife is given your full support to be in the Word and, and to, to feed on the Word. You are responsible, actually, men. Very clear, Ephesians 5. to Make sure your wife is fed and nourished with the Word of God. And this will produce genuine faith. Second, prayer. Pray. In Matthew chapter 17, there's this... Uh, episode where the disciples are unable to cast a demon out of a boy. So they've done it before. They've done this before under Jesus' instructions and the authority they have in Christ. They've cast demons out before, but they can't do it with this boy. And, and, it, and in the story, they have a lack of faith. But then Jesus says something later. He says this type comes out only through prayer. And so prayer has this function um, with faith, it strengthens our faith. Weak faith is what you get from weak prayer. Strong faith is what you get from strong prayer. Faith is bolstered in prayer. It's in prayer that we experience God's peace ministering to us and the assurance that passes understanding. That bolsters our faith. So, moms, do you feel challenged? Pray. Lay those requests at His feet and let the peace of God protect you and strengthen you in faith. So with the Word, prayer, and then fellowship. Being around other people that are following Jesus and I would say other moms 
older moms that have, have been through what you're facing and have learned to, to walk with God and, and other moms who are your age going through the same things and moms that are younger get together. You need each other's help. This is the design of God. This is the challenge, of course, of the, the pandemic. But God's given us means, thank, thank God, like Zoom and the phone and so forth, to allow us to get together. And so um, our Bible studies can continue and fellowship can continue. We have prayer on Thursday nights together. Uh, Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Be careful. And then how do we do? How are we careful? The next sentence. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So there should be this regular encouragement, exhortation together, fellowship, being around others. And finally, and most importantly, moms, your source of nurturing your faith is Christ Himself. These things, the Word and prayer and fellowship are all important, but they are actually what we can call means of grace, but not the source of grace. They are like the pipes and the, and the glasses that contain the water. But Christ Himself is the source of grace. He is the water. And as you look to Jesus and cry out to Jesus and fix your eyes on Jesus who died for you to pay for all your sins, who rose again to give you victory over sin and death, who's with you as the Good Shepherd has promised never to leave you or forsake you. As you fix your eyes on Him, you will find strength as you run the race. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Moms, look to Jesus. Put your trust in Him. Fix your eyes on Him. He's gone before you. He died for you. He's alive forevermore. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. He's interceding for you. He's with you. Fix your eyes on Him and know that you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And much of that crowd are moms just like you. Moms that have been through it as well. You're not alone. Moms like Eunice, Lois, Monica, and many others who have known the challenges, who have had imperfect lives, but have learned to put their faith in Jesus, to fix their eyes on Jesus, even if that faith is just barely traceable. And they have made it through. And they've got to the finish line. They've run the race. They got there. They are now in the stands cheering you on as you fix your eyes on Jesus and as you live out your faith. Let's pray.